Welcome back, everybody. If you can take a seat, we will continue as we, uh, we're in, uh, in between series right now and just hitting on some things that I feel like need to be hit on, things that are kind of, I consider important. Um, but as we're getting ready to start here, I just want to remind you to be praying. Um, little baby Noah Prince is at CHKD fighting for his life. He's uh, about a month old, and uh, we just encourage you to continue to pray. There have been um, ups and downs and uh, just a real difficult time as, as a church. We're trying to unite between, behind Brian and Mary Prince as we pray for their son. So continue to lift them in prayer. I also would encourage you to be praying for uh, Jose, uh, Jose Luna, our assistant pastor. He is in Arizona right now. Some exciting stuff is happening there. Um, Bill Manning, who was form, our former assistant pastor, with his family moved there to live on the reservation, which is incredibly rare. You, you won't see uh, on the, the Navajo res- reservation maybe a dozen people who are not Navajos that live there permanently. Um, they're living there on the reservation near this little town of Gap, ministering to the people there. It's a place called Hidden Springs. And uh, that little town of Gap has endured a lot of difficulties over the last uh, 30 or 40 years. Um, There was a big lawsuit uh, by a person who wanted to uh, obtain some Navajo land and was trying to get the government to exercise eminent domain. So everything in that section that there was a lawsuit over was frozen. People couldn't do anything, couldn't, couldn't improve their houses to any great degree, couldn't rebuild, and uh, lasted 40 years. It's called the Bennett Freeze. You can look it up. And so now what's happened is a, a big nonprofit associated with Johns Hopkins University and a couple other places that came in to that little town of Gap and said, we want to help you. And they went to the head of, head of the town, the, the, the man who's basically kind of in charge, and that man said, you need to talk to Bill Manning. He knows more about what needs to be done, and he's more able to do it than anybody here. And so they went and they talked to Bill and they said, we want to bring a construction crew. Will you house them and feed them? And uh, this crew is going to redo houses and they're, they're getting a list of who needs the most help the most immediately. And just an incredible opportunity. And to me, it's, a, it's just such a great picture of what happens when people go and live and become a part of a community and decide to minister to them over the course of, of the last four or five months with COVID-19. Bill has orchestrated food deliveries to this town, orchestrated helping people get get to hospitals, get to uh, all of that stuff he and his family have been doing. And so now they look to him. When when real help can arrive, they say, talk to Bill Manning. Go see Bill and Grace Manning. They will help you. This will happen. So Jose and a couple other people are now, uh, Don Durham, who used to go here, are now at, the, at, the, at Hidden Springs where the little church is, and, and they're refurbishing a bunkhouse so that the construction crew can live there as they go to the town of Gap and rebuild homes. And so it's a great way of facilitating the gospel is penetrating uh, that area, and people are, it's just an amazing thing what God has done. Uh, 25, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I think it was, we first went to Arizona. I took a group of teenagers. I was at a different church, small group of teenagers. There was about... Ten of us, and we started um, trying to minister to Navajos, 
and Bill took it over, and, I, and I, I say this before, I can't emphasize it enough. When Bill took it over, I couldn't imagine what God was going to do. I couldn't even think to ask for the things that God has done in the last 10 to 15 years in Arizona. It's an amazing thing, and now Real Help is helping people, and it's being facilitated by a missionary who's there because everyone at that town looks to the missionaries who are right there, Bill and Grace Manning and their kids, for anything that they look to them and, and know that their heart is for them. And so it's an, it's an amazing thing. It, there's nothing like this happening on the Navajo Reservation that I know of. It, it's just amazing. And uh, so Jose's there, and uh, that's why he's not here now. And I appreciate people are filling in for Jose with the live stream and, and all this stuff, and, and I really appreciate it. We are in, and um, this is a, such a subtle segue, we are in difficult times. I don't think this is news to any of you. We're in difficult times. We, we're, we're, we're dealing with multiple things at multiple levels. Um, we're, we're, we're dealing with tremendous cultural issues that we have struggled with for hundreds of years in our country and it's still a struggle. We're dealing with economic issues. We're dealing with medical issues. All of these things are going on, and, and, and what is happening? Life has changed for most of us. You know, you, you, you think about it. I read the other day, somebody said this is like uh, September um, um, 13th, uh, 12th or 13th, and, and then they wrote, no, really, it's March 184. It's like, it's just been this extension, and it seems like it's been going on for so long, and we're dealing with it. And it's difficult. Education is difficult right now. You know, remote learning is difficult. My, my little five-year-old grandson uh, just started school, you know, remote learning. And, and he has a, he, he sometimes when he gets frustrated, you know, when little kids get, he gets his face all mad and he goes, like that. And all of a sudden, his mom leans over to him and says, you know, every person in this class can see you do that and hear you. And he was like, like that, just all of a sudden, you know, and, and we're finding new ways of getting together, and we're dealing with it in different ways, all kinds of difficulties. The other day, I was reading one kid the first day of school. All of a sudden, he stood up, closed his, his computer, little second grader, closes his computer. As he's walking away, he goes, technical difficulties, and he just walks off, goes outside in the backyard. And I thought, hey, I like that idea. I'll just start turning off. Yeah, no, that doesn't work so well. And so we've been dealing with it. And some people are struggling Many people are struggling. I know I talk to people. For some people, there's intense disappointment over what is happening now at this time in their school year as they look forward to things now that are being canceled. Uh, for some people, there is a, a struggle that's going on. Some people even struggling with depression and, and dealing with just this sense of nothing's right. And even, even I've gotten some emails and, and texts and phone calls from people who are saying, I'm, I'm, even, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with my faith. You know, I... I and I thought about that, and I want to talk about something that we talk about every couple of years, every two or three years, I want to talk about here, because I feel like it's such an important issue. And I want to talk about dealing with doubts. As we look at this today, dealing with doubts, because for, for every single person in our walk with Christ, there's going to come times where doubts you know, raise their ugly head, and we struggle with it, and we're not always sure what to do with it because our natural tendency is to kind of cover it up, squish it down, try to ignore it. And that's absolutely the worst thing to do when you struggle with that because you've got to understand this is a normal thing. People deal with this. I deal with this. We all deal with this. There are times where we struggle with 
going, man, do I really believe this? And you got to understand this is normal. You got to understand it's going to happen at different points in our lives, different intensities. But the question then is, how, how do I how do I deal with these doubts? How do I deal with struggles in my faith? Now, let's start off with this word faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In the King James, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I really like the, I don't use it, I mean, I use it sometimes in my personal study, but I really like what the King James says here. Because this word for being sure, or the word for stu- substance, is a Greek word. The Greek word is, is hypostasis. And, and what it means is, it means that there's some sort of a, has this idea of a foundation. Something that guarantees something to come. An assurance that something is true. It's used in ancient literature sometimes for the documents of a contract, a promise, or a title deed. But the key is this thought of there's this, there's this foundation that then this is built on. You know, uh, if I go to my wife and I tell her, pack your bags, we're going to Hawaii next week. And she's like, what? What a surprise. So romantic. I'm very romantic. So romantic. So romantic. What, the, what a thoughtful, when are we flying out? I said, well, I haven't got the tickets yet. Ah, okay. Where are we staying? Well, I haven't settled that yet. I'm not sure about a hotel. Have you got a rental car? You know, and then the light starts dawning. And she says, okay, I'm not packing till you get these things straight, right? Because what happens? If, if, if I have nothing to show that the trip is going to happen, there's no foundation to build that trip on. Because there have been times where I've wanted to take a trip and I've made these great, exciting thoughts, and then it just doesn't come together. And oftentimes it's because I'm not a real good planner and I don't plan real well. And so that's why she knows to ask those kind of questions. Did you get the plane tickets yet? Oh, you know, and, and it's a week away. Really? You think you're going to find? And, and so what is this idea of hypostasis? It means, it means this idea that there's something I can trust and build on because I trust the person who's telling it to me. And God says, look, I have something for you. It's a big deal. And it's, it's going to happen. I mean, like the culmination is going to be here. But in the meantime, I, it's a part of your life right now. Start working on this. Start, start getting ready. And it's this idea that I have this foundation to build on. So he's saying faith involves a foundation to build on. And then faith, it says, is the, uh, and we're certain of what we do not see. Or the evidence of things unseen. Now that word for evidence is a Greek word that is used, it's, it's elinkos, and, and what it's used is, it's a, it's, a, it's a trial word. It has this idea of a trial, the charge, the whole total trial, I should say that. The charge that is, is given, the revealing of the truthfulness, evidence, you know, that goes back and forth in a courtroom, the results of the charge, and then the acknowledgement of the person that they are guilty of the charge. So it's a whole trial from the beginning to the end. It's the total process of the trial. And what is it saying? What is it saying? It's saying that there is this process that involves investigation, that involves back and forth, that involves finally some sort of acknowledgement that ultimately leads me to say, I believe this is true. So there's a foundation and a process. This is what faith is. Have you ever noticed sometimes people say, what, what is faith? And you go, uh, well, it's kind of like, uh, well, have you ever seen that uh, Indiana Jones movie? Uh, stuff like that, right? It, it, it can be tough. Well, here's what it is. 
It is a foundation that has been laid that I ascertain I believe this and it's true and I'm now in the process of working through those truths, figuring out what they mean to me and how they deal with my life. And the Bible talks about this process. The Bible doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't hold back on this. It tells us about this all the time. In uh, Psalm 34, 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, see, try it, work at it, think about it, taste and see. David's saying, try it out, investigate. He is good. You will find this out. And this is where we have problems. We, we can have problems with our idea that uh, for some people, coming to God is just like this flash of light, and it just happens. It just happens. And it doesn't always work that way. It didn't work that way for me. Coming to God, becoming a Christian was a process that took me a, a year or two to work through as I wrestled back and forth. Uh, one of my brothers, it was a flash. And, and it just happened, but not me. And so there is this sense, there's, it's, it can be instant, but it's not always instant. In Isaiah 1.18, he says, come let us reason together. And that word for reason means a push and a pull and a, and a tug and a back and a forth. God's totally open to that. It isn't like God is saying, here's what it is. You know, I, I remember seeing one time the bumper sticker, God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. Well, that's not how it works for me sometimes. God says it, and I'm like, really? That seems so hard. I got to look. And I look into it, and I go back and forth, and I say, God, do you really, is this what you really mean? And it's back and forth. And finally, at some point, I go, okay, I, I'm beginning to realize how this resolves. I'm beginning to realize what this means. I yield to you. But it's a process that can happen in our lives. When God says, come, let us reason together, he's saying, this isn't a blind leap of faith. I'm asking you to investigate. I'm asking you to, to look into this and then act. There is a leap of faith, but it's not blind. In fact, Jesus talks about the process of discovering him. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus is saying, look, I know this is a process. Begin doing my will. Begin walking in this direction. You'll find it out. That's so much like the taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is saying, get on it. Think about it, work through it, act. Faith is this process of investigating what God says is true and placing my trust in him and trust in what he tells me. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little later, but the Holy Spirit of God is, is intimately involved in this because the word of God tells us the spirit leads us to truth. And so oftentimes, that's how he works in our lives. So if we, if we see we doubt, if we understand this is what faith means, but now how does this apply to my life? How do I work this out in my life? How do I deal with doubts? How can a person deal with doubts? That's a great question. Here's a quote from Frederick Buchner. He says, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I have found that to be true in my life. There have been times where I've struggled with doubts and as I investigated and prayed and worked through them, I came through it with greater faith, greater assurance, more of a rest in him because I had gone through that fire, gone through that difficulty. So doubts are serious, but doubting doesn't mean you're not a believer. It doesn't mean unbelief. Doubting simply says this. I mean, if you think about it, this is what doubting says. There's more than one viable option here. That's what it means. 
It means there's more than one viable option. And I may say, well, I thought it was this option. Well, now what about this? I'm not so sure. And then I go back and forth because there's more than one option that's available and they're both viable. And so the key here is, and I missed this before, don't suppress doubts. Get them in the open and examine them. Find someone you can talk to. It's incredibly relieving sometimes to realize that other people struggle with the same things and oftentimes have gone through the same things. Now, usually it, what I would say right now is I would say my, uh, my email address is in the bulletin. You can, e- uh, yeah, you can email me anytime. It's not in the bulletin because we don't have bulletins because of COVID. Curse you. So here's my email address. Now, it occurs to me that this is also going to go out on our live stream and be on the internet forever. And so I'm probably going to get emails from wackos all over the place. And I, I, that's okay. I've gotten some this way before from people in other areas, states, or countries, and uh, not, they're not all wackos. A large number are, but not all. I'll just say that. So this, this is my email. I want to tell you something. If you're struggling with doubts, I would be happy to sit down with you. I'd be happy to, to talk to you. If you don't feel comfortable sitting down, I'd be happy to email you back and forth and work through it. Because I've been through these things too and still struggle sometimes. But there are answers. That's the, that's the best thing I found. There are answers as we struggle with doubts. So how do I deal with doubts? First of all, getting, getting, uh, getting someone else involved to talk to. The worst thing to do is sit alone and stew. That doesn't help at all. The other thing to remember is this is very key on what the Bible teaches about truth. There is a two-part authenticator uh, for truth in our life. All right? First is the witness of the word. That is the objective witness of truth in our life. The word is an objective witness of truth. And the second is the witness, I mentioned this, of the Holy Spirit. That is a subjective witness of truth in our life. Those two never disagree. But that means when I'm struggling sometimes, I've got to be sure I check the word. And then I've got to be sure I allow the spirit to talk. I pray or allow the spirit to talk through other people or through a book or whatever it is. Allow the spirit to bring the truth into my life. So I have to keep cultivating my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I have to continue even maybe when I'm struggling with doubts. I need to continue to worship. I need to continue to serve. I need to continue to study. I need to continue to pray. That's very key as I'm struggling with doubts. I need to continue. Now, as we look at how do I deal with doubts, it just worked out this way. The word doubt makes a great acrostic. I know, you know, I, I would always hate it when teachers, this, uh, this is terrible for me to even say, I didn't always like it when teachers did that because sometimes I felt like they, they kind of contrived to get them. You know, I, I had a teacher when I was in college that he loved to use those kind of acrostics. And so he would have things like on the board, it would be aerate the Frisbees, attack the farmers, you know, arrest, you know, and then you'd be going, okay, AF, AF, we get it, we get it, right? So we're going to look at the word doubt as an acrostic. First thing you do is dare to doubt. What do I mean by that? I mean, the temptation is to stay shallow. The temptation is this, don't ask hard questions you're secretly wondering about. You might lose your faith. And I want to tell you, that's a lie, That's a lie from the devil. Don't ask questions that you're secretly wondering about. You'll lose your faith. And that's a lie. If you ask questions about things you're wondering about, it actually can strengthen your faith. You don't lose it. It strengthens in that. Because you have to understand, if these doubts are attacking you, 
you shouldn't be holding it, stuffing it in and holding it in. Because too many times we have this hallmark sen- sentimental, simplistic belief that doesn't hold up under stress and the strain of real life. And we need to move beyond that. One of the things here at First Church, one of the things we really, is, is we want to get real about stuff. We want to get real about stuff. We want to say there are hard questions. We've talked about this before. There are hard questions. There are difficult things to deal with. As, as a Christian in this world, as a believer in the word of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are hard questions. They will push us. And that's okay. We're not afraid of them. I've told, said this before. One of the reasons I love to do books at a time and then between the books we intersperse some things, but books at a time is because then you have to do every part of the book. You can't miss some. You know, if you, if you listen to someone who simply just does a topical thing all the time, they can pick and choose, right? So they don't tend to pick the things that are hard to explain. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we had a verse up here and I admitted, I'm not exactly sure what that verse means. I got to address it. I have to say that because it's the truth. And we want to be people of the truth more than anything else. We want to be people of the truth. And we beat ourselves up sometimes. We think we should never doubt. How could you be a Christian and think about that? Here's how. It's perfectly normal. And so we investigate. We use our mind. We dare to doubt. And ultimately, we can't reason everything out. We will never reason everything out. There is an element of stepping out and believing God. But we don't leave our mind at the door. That will kill us. That will kill us. And doubt is something that Jesus embraced. He didn't condemn. And here it, here it is. This is one of my favorite passages. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And I love that. He goes, if you can do anything. Why does he say if you can do anything? Because he's tried before with other people. Somebody else has come along and they said, we think this guy can. Oh, please, nothing happened. Oh, please, nothing happened. Oh, please, nothing happened. So now he couches it. Look, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. See, Jesus picks right up on that. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. So now we have this element of belief, this element of faith that comes in. He goes, everything's possible if you believe, if you have, if you have faith. And this man answers immediately. You can, you can imagine, and, and this is one of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago, putting ourselves into the story, putting ourselves into the emotions of the story. Imagine this man. Imagine this man. He loves his child. And this stuff has been happening for years. He's, he's saved his child's life a number of times, thrown in the fire, thrown in the water. This man lives with this constant dread that the one time I'm not paying close enough attention, my child will die and it'll be my fault. Can you imagine living with that pressure every day of your life? It's killing him. It's killing him. We need to enter into this because then Jesus says everything is possible for one who believes. And it says immediately, it's that word for in that instant, that man says, 
I do believe. And then it's like the truth comes out too. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love this. He's honest with Jesus. He says, I believe, but I'm struggling with doubt, man. I've tried this five, 10, 20 other times with healers and medical people and all this kind of crap going on. And you come along and you say, I got to believe. Well, I, I'm believing, but I'm struggling with doubt. And it's so cool in this story. Jesus doesn't go, well, listen, pal, just work on this. Once your doubt, once your, once your belief gets up real high and you get that doubt out of the way, let's work. I'll do it for you. Right? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus Heals the son. Jesus is like, that's good enough for me. That's good enough. See, it isn't your amount of belief. It's who you're going to with it. That's the key. It isn't how much belief I have. It's who is it in. The object of the belief is so important. And Jesus is saying that. I'll work with you on this. And that's great for us. That's great for me in times where I've struggled, where doubts have racked me and kept me up at night, knowing Jesus is like, it's cool. I'm with you. We're, we're in this together. He's not like, bye, Felicia. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. He says, I'll work with you. I'll love with you. So we have to understand there will always be under unanswered questions. When we dare to doubt, we have to understand there will always be unanswered questions. And we have to learn to live that, we work through them. But here's the thing. The reason there will always be unanswered questions is there will always be people arguing against the veracity, the truthfulness of the Bible. But here's what's very interesting. The things that people said 20, 40, 50, 100 years ago claiming this proves the Bible is not true has changed. Why has it changed? Because we've answered so many of them. It used to be many years ago in my lifetime that doubters said, we have no proof of Philistines. There's just no proof. And in the last 50 years, it has exploded. And so they said, okay, there are Philistines. But what about the Canaanites? It's exploded. In the last 50 years, People would say the New Testament and longer. The New Testament was put together 150, 200 years after the life of Jesus. And then what has happened? We're discovering more and more fragments. And we're pushing it closer and closer till we think we have a fragment that probably is within 20 years of Jesus' death. And so what, what is, it's, it's, it's said, hey, it is truthful. There is veracity here. Years ago, I can remember when I, when I was in grad school, listening to lectures and, 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 and reading books about how, how uh, the Old Testament is just so historically inaccurate. And that has changed radically in the last 50 years. We have found the names of kings, so much so that I was reading the other day, there's a Jewish scholar and, and people were saying, we found something about Hezekiah that kind of shows that Hezekiah was one of the kings. And the guy said, listen, we've all come to realize that the whole list of kings uh, of the kings of Israel in the Old Testament is an accurate list. No one doesn't accept that anymore. For a long time, there was no mention, we could find no mention of David outside of the Bible. And now that has changed. 
and things are piling up. So what's happened? The arguments against that caused doubts in people's lives have changed. Why? Because they were answered. Not all arguments have been answered yet. And that's okay. We know there are possibilities. We know what to do with some of those things. We know explanations for some of those things. But we have to realize something. Some, answers may, may, some questions may be answered in the future. But not all. There will always be. But dare to doubt. It's okay. It's okay to doubt. Because Jesus will work with that. Secondly, open yourself up to grow. What do I mean by that? We need, we need to understand that doubts are opportunities to grow. You know, sometimes when some of these things hit you, you don't want to rest till you figure it out. It gnaws at you. And that's good. That's good. Because it causes you to work at it. When, Jesus, when, when God said in Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. He's telling them, let's be a pro- I want to be a part of investigating with you. Let's work through your doubts together. Maybe it's read books. Maybe it's go to certain sites on the internet. Maybe it's talk to certain people. But doubts can help deepen our faith. You know, when you were a little kid, many of you learned that God is love. And then what happens for all of us? The world kind of barges in. We see the world is a very unloving place in so many ways. I didn't, I didn't come to Christ till later in life. But then afterwards, even, even a few years afterwards, seeing how unloving things were, I, kept, I, I remember thinking one time, if God is so loving, why does this happen? And why does this happen? And why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why do these things happen if God is so loving? And from our perspective, love is incredibly inefficient. It takes time. It doesn't work by force. Love seeks the free response of its people and seeks to work with us and through us to bring peace and justice and mercy. Love doesn't push its way in. Love invites, love sacrifices, love calls, love pursues. But love doesn't force. And so when we say God is love, that's not a children's thing. That's not for children or just for children. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's the deepest, most pivotal, pivotal truth in Scripture. When we look at this, all the different dimensions of this verse, of this idea... It helps us integrate the reality of pain in our lives. It helps us integrate the reality of suffering in the world. Our faith grows and develops as we begin to understand what is meant by that. God says he is with me, but it doesn't mean he shields me from things. God always takes the long view. He doesn't take the short view. He always works on the long view. And so he always, always can take the things we struggle with and incorporate that into furthering his kingdom and growing us and others around us. Dostoevsky wrote, he said, uh, it is not as a boy that I believe in Christ and confess him. Rather, my Hosanna has passed through a great furnace of doubts. So dare to doubt. Open yourself up to grow. And the third one is understand. See how we're spelling that word so neatly? Understand. Number one, understand this. The doubts that you have in their essence are probably not even new. People have struggled with those doubts for thousands of years. And they center on issues. They center on questions that have been going on since the beginning of time. Why are we here? Is there a God? Where are we going? How can God be good if bad things happen? Does what I do matter? 
What about the people who never heard? What about the, this? What about this? How could God, how could a loving God create a, something called hell? Those questions have been asked and struggled with for thousands of years. And people have worked on it to develop reasonable answers that, that you can work with. The key is for us, oftentimes we start wondering about something, you know, what happens with this? We start wondering about that and we pull inward. We don't tell anybody, right? You don't want to tell anybody at church that you're struggling with doubts about your faith because what kind of Christian would they think you are? If you tell me you're struggling with doubts about your faith, here's the kind of Christian I think you are, a normal one, a normal one because that's what happens in life. And so people have struggled with those things. They've worked through those things. And oftentimes they've dealt with them in a way that you might be surprised. Because sometimes we read things, we hear things, they sound so convincing, but oftentimes they've been totally dealt with and they prove nothing. That's why the Bible says to us that we need to humble ourselves. Because what happens is we tend to think that we are the, just the soul, the, 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 the pinnacle of knowledge. And we start struggling with something and we think, man, you know, subtly you think, you don't think, subtly you think, no one's ever struggled with this. I've really thought of something new. No, you haven't. I hate to break that to you. But you're not as sharp, sharp as you think you are. He says, so he says humbly, and I say that, I'm the same thing. <laughs> I'm not as sharp as I think I am. I say that because we have to, when we humble ourselves, then we realize there are people who have gone on before me who have been brilliant and have wrestled with this and come out on the other side. I wonder what they say. I wonder what they say. That's an important thing to do. All right? So first of all, realize, you know, what seems unanswerable to you has probably been worked through by someone else. Secondly, understand there are different ways of knowing. Not all answers to our doubts come by sifting through the facts. Oftentimes, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we can't manufacture it simply on intellectual information alone. Intellectual information is important, but it's not the be-all and the end-all. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. And God then works. He happens in our lives. We read and we pray, and then sometimes we work through it. We can't, we can't force ourselves to believe. So don't try. It's a work of God. When you struggle with things, educate yourself as best you can and allow God to use that. Third, fourth thing is, dare to doubt, open yourself up to grow, understand, and, and the fourth thing is battle it out with God. I find it very interesting that God, the name God gave to his people. He called them Israel. Now, if you remember, Israel is the name given to a man named Jacob. Jacob was a man who totally screwed things up, tried to get things done his own way, tried to do it his own way, on his own intellect, on his own, and, and, and was frustrated at every turn. And finally, in a pivotal moment in his life, in the middle of the night, he's attacked by someone. And he, and he wrestles, and they're wrestling back and forth. It, it, it's like a life and death struggle. And it turns out that who he's wrestling with is God, who has come down to meet with him. And it's an interesting, interesting story because it goes against what we would think would, you know, what we would think would happen because at one point God says to Jacob, okay, let me go. And Jacob says, no, I'm not letting you go. You got to bless me. 
And then God informs him, you know, this is going to come at a great cost for you. And, and, and Jacob's uh, leg is, you know, God does a reverse spin, pin, double back and pulls his leg out of his socket. And Jacob's like, oh, crap. You know, and, and I don't think he said that, but in the Hebrew, somehow he did. Right. And then, but then God blesses him. So it's for him, it's worth it in the long run. And God tells him, your name now is not Jacob. Your name is Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God and wins. Now, isn't that wacky? Jacob won. How does that work? I don't know how that works. But he's the one. And so God names his people Israel, the ones who wrestle with God. Now, think about that. God could have chosen any type of people he wanted to be his people. Docile people, placid people, happy-go-lucky people, easy-to-manage people, always agreeable people, never upset people, people like me. He could have chosen people like me, right? But instead, we find out this is the nation that is not the nation of happy-go-lucky. This is the nation that wrestles with God. That's why he gave them that name. You know, I think about this as a parent, you know, for here and at home, all those parents. You know, if you could have chosen your child's temperament before that child was, was born, you know, ahead of time, not many of you would say, oh, I want a wrestler, right? I want someone who always takes me on. I want somebody who challenges me. I want somebody to ask hard questions. I want somebody that disagrees with me all the time and tries to pin me down. I'd like a child that debates and questions and will never take a simple answer at face value. I'd really enjoy that kind of kid, right? None of us would ask for that. A lot of us got that, right? A lot of us got that. When, when, when our first son was born, I mean, he, he was difficult from day one, right? He's diff, he just was difficult from day one. Couldn't sleep, colicky, all types of stuff. And uh, then we had our second child, our first daughter, Holly. And she, she was like the exact, she was sweet. She slept, she woke up, she ate, she smiled, she went back to sleep. Then she woke up and she ate and she giggled. Then she went back to sleep. So naturally we said, there's something wrong with this one. This kid has got a problem and we think it's serious. So my wife called the, the little hotline and said, look, this is, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, this kid just eats and sleeps and smiles and then does, you know, just keep doing it over and over. And the nurse is like, oh, honey, you got a good one. <laughs> that was the only good one we got out of five. But anyways, uh, it, 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 it's that thing. God, God chose Israel. He named them. This is the kind of people they were. You think about that. And he didn't get mad at them for wrestling with him. He wanted that. One of the things we get from the book of Hosea was how they lied to God. He hated that. He hated that. Because they, they thought they were getting away with something. He said, it's not so bad. I mean, it's like he's saying, it's not so bad that you're doing this, but you're acting like you're not doing it. In the book of Malachi, he says, you're cheating me. And they were like, how have we cheated God? Right? Every parent has seen that at one time or another with their kids. Catching one of my kids, like in the middle, I'm saying, why did you do that? I didn't do that. I'm like, dude, I just saw you do it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, don't, no, don't, no, don't do that. Don't lie. 
let's just start with just admitting that you did it because I saw you do it. Right? So God chose a nation like that. Because this tells me God puts a high premium on a relationship with us that's honest, it's open, it's not always neat and predictable and tidy. God would rather have our doubts and our messiness than dishonesty. And that dishonesty comes when we try to repress those things. God would rather have our angry prayer that's real than some nice rote prayer that has nothing to do with how we're feeling or what's going on. God would rather have us engage with him as wrestlers, as people close enough to him to trust him with everything than as distant children who may be pleasant and acting good but are totally disengaged. They speak, he says, they speak these things with their mouth. They sound so good, but their hearts are far from me. God says, I'd rather they tell me the truth. I would rather they tell me the truth. Because ultimately, when we're not grappling in deep ways with our faith, we're missing something. We need to ask questions to, to, in order to grow. We have to deal with these difficult things to be able to grow in our faith. If you're cold and distant and ignoring, that's death to a relationship. That's death to a relationship. An argument is better because then two people are involved. One time a while back, my wife and I were arguing and all of a sudden I just started smiling. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just thinking about when we get done. This is going to be great because then we're going to be like, I love you. I love you too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. And then we're going to kiss and hug and who knows where that's going to go. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Right? And she's like, no, no. You can't short circuit it by getting to the good stuff too early. You've got to work through the hard stuff. We got to work through the hard stuff. We got to work through the hard stuff. Honey, I'm sorry I said that. My wife's on, <laughs> she's watching right now. I think I'm going out to eat today. Um, so a cold, a distant, and ignoring relationship is, that's the death of a relationship. Even an argument is better because two people are alive and energized and talking to each other. I mean, think about it. This is, this is from um, Psalm 188, just, just portions of Psalm 188. But get the feel of what the psalmist is saying, to here, saying here. I cry to you for help, O Lord. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? My soul is full of trouble. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness declared in destruction? I am in despair. That's a person being honest with God. And God put it in his word. Why? Because he loves that. He values that. It doesn't hurt his feelings. We have to be open and honest. We have to, at times, battle it out with God. Fifth one. How do I deal with doubts? I dare to doubt. I open myself up to grow. I understand how this works. Battle it out with God. And then trust. And the question becomes, well, how can I trust and doubt at the same time? Well, you trust what you know. You find the basic that you'll hold on to. You trust that and you move forward. Because even the most staunch atheist has things that they trust, that they take by faith. Right? You may trust that someone loves you. For Even for an atheist to trust that someone loves you, okay, they're taking that by faith. 
Because we see plenty of times when someone declares their love and then betrays it. Or they may even trust that life is good or justice is humane, or things in nature have awe-inspiring beauty, things that I agree with, but we're taking that by faith. I see this all the time, too. I, I was hearing a guy speak the other day, a, 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 a blog, uh, um, podcast, and, uh, and he was saying, because we all know that deep down inside, inherently, people are good. And I'm like, whoa, there's a step of faith right there. There's a step of faith. All people are good? Man, I'm exhibit number one for that's not true. I know me. I, 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 I don't always know how God loves No, I don't know how God loves me because I don't always love me. I don't like the way I am in a lot of ways. I see myself for who I am at times and I'm like, right? And so to say that people are basically good, man, that's a huge leap of faith. So everybody, everybody operates at some level on faith. It's not like we are the ones, the only ones that have that. And so for Christians, we may not know the why of a, certain, uh, of a certain situation. We may battle it out with God over things that we don't get, we don't understand. They make no sense. They rub us the wrong way. But ultimately, when we walk in the dark with these things, it is precisely because we know God. It is precisely because we can remember a time when God happened to us, God worked in our lives, that we are able to trust him in the dark times. That's why the scripture says all the time for us to remember things. Why? Because when I'm struggling, when I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm struggling with doubts or just lots of difficult situations, what happens? I tend to forget everything that's right and go like, this is terrible. Life is over. I hate it. Oh, I'm going to kill this kid or whatever you think. You know, you just, it just, everything falls apart. And the idea, he says, is remember what I've done before. Remember how I've worked in your life because those memories will temper this time and let you know that this isn't, this isn't forever. And so we can trust him through those difficult times. And I think even, even if, you, if you don't know God today and there's a desire in your heart to know the truth, then I would encourage you to step, step out and say, God, if you're there, I want it happen to me. Let me see it. Show yourself. Reveal yourself. I will search. You reveal. But here's the key. You have to be willing. You have to be willing then to follow if he does that. I talked to a guy one time, I went, I went uh, part of graduate school was at the University of Maryland, Go Terrapins, which is just a great name for a team. <laughs> Slow and we hide in our shells. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that. Anybody who else went to University of Maryland, I'm sorry. Uh, so I, 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 talk, I was talking to a guy and, and we were talking about some of this stuff and, and he said, this, this really bothers me. This, this really bothers me. And he told me something about Christianity that really bothered him. And I asked him, I said, you know, I got a question. Like, I, I feel like, are, are you honestly seeking? I am honestly seeking. I said, so if I can answer this question, you would start to follow? He's like, oh, no, I don't know about, no. I said, well, then you're not honestly seeking. See, here's the thing. If you want answers to questions, you have to do what comes after that. You have to do that works through that. And I told him, I said, you know, I think there's a very legitimate answer to your, your question, this problem you have. And, and I'm going to tell you what it is. I mean, I'm not going to be like, well, if you won't, then I won't. You know, I'm not going to get into that little middle schools type stuff. But 
But I, but I wanted to illustrate to him, you're not an honest seeker. Because if God comes through, if God enables me to answer your question, you're still not going to follow. And so here's the thing. I would encourage you, if you're not sure, say, God, I want to know. Because really, think about it. Don't you want to know the truth? I want to know the truth. Reveal yourself. Show it to me. I'm ready. I will. And, then say, I, and I will follow. I will search and I will follow. There's a great story about a woman named Charlotte Elliott who lived a long time ago. She had some extreme disabilities that kept her homebound. And she was incredibly resentful. Um, she had called a pastor friend wanting answers. Why? Why has this happened to me? Why am I in this pain? And the pastor told her that in the midst of her anger and lack of understanding, she could still open her heart to Jesus. And even though there's no simple answers to the hard questions she's asking, she really struggled with that, but she was honestly seeking. And finally, one day she said, okay, Jesus, I'll do it. I'll follow you. And she asked Jesus to come into her heart to be her savior. And she's very open that for years afterwards, she still battled with this. She battled with frustration. She battled with doubt. She had a brother. His name was Henry Elliot. He, he was a very uh, successful pastor. He had like a mega church for those days. And he, and he was very successful and popular. And she wished that she could go out and impact people's lives like he impacted people's lives. And she was like, but here I am, you know, crippled in pain. No one cares what I have to say. And uh, she felt alone. She felt stuck. I mean, you know, this is that same thing as we say about Scripture. You enter into her story and you can just feel the crushing loneliness and hopelessness that can come in a situation like that. And then in 1836, she wrote a song. That uh, It's an old hymn. And the third verse says this. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. She wrote, just as I am, which in some ways and <laughs> has been totally misused and, and uh, has become something that people mock. But that, that line right there, those, that verse right there, she's talking about herself and her walk with Christ. I'm tossed about. I have conflict. I have doubts. I have fightings. I have fears within and without. And yet still I come. Years later, in an interview with her brother, he said he had hoped that he would change lives and make inroads for the gospel with his preaching. But he said, one hymn written by my sister has impacted more lives than I could ever dream of. See, just a little bit of faith. She struggled all her life, even after she became a follower of Christ. She struggled with doubts, but Jesus took that little bit of faith because it's who you put your faith in that is so important. That's what's so important. The object of your faith is the most important thing. And he took that little bit of faith and he wrote something that has endured to this day. It's amazing. It's amazing what God can do. 
We just sang, you know, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God can work through the most difficult times in your life when you feel like he's deserted you. He's working. He's working. And as we begin to learn that, as we begin to trust that, it helps us as we go through those times because we will all go through those times. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter, you know, anything. You will go through those times. Last thing I want to do is, is uh, put something up here. We'll just leave it up for a few minutes if we can do that. Um, these are some uh, websites that I have gone to that I find have been very informative. Um, reasonablefaith.org is, is uh, by a, um, a philosopher and a, uh, who is probably one of the sharpest minds around at this time on that type of thing. Uh, the Ravi Zacharias Ministries, RZIM, and then um, bethinking.org is a website in England that is, deals with these kind of issues and, and a ton more. I mean, they, they deal with a, a ton of issues that I feel like are, are so good for Christians to be involved in, dealing with how Christians can be involved in the arts and in reviews of movies and how Christians can be involved in, in this and that and all those types of things. Um, because for each one of us, you know, we're... we're uh, we deal with things in our lives and it helps for us to get to, to make contact and even in a virtual sense with people, with people who, who may know more than us. To keep that, people who have been through it and come out on the other side and said, look, this is what God did for me. And I want to end with this. For many of you, you may be going through some difficult times right now. It may be difficult times financially. It may be difficult times with, um, with your health. It may be difficult times in, in any number of things. And I want to tell you something. In the long run, you're going to get through. And then what's going to happen is, and for many of you, I can envision in time down the road, somebody's going to come and talk to you and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. And you're like, yeah, I did. I struggled with that. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. God will take even your worst experiences and he will use them to impact the lives of others. Charlotte Elliott had no clue that millions and millions and millions of people would sing and read those words long after the brother that she idolized was gone and no one, hear, no one knows of. Long after him, her pain and her faith reflected in this hymn has gone throughout the world. God used it. God can do the same thing with you. Small, large, doesn't matter. He can take them and use them to impact people's lives and change them. It's the stone in the pond. The ripples can go. You think about that. What else can you do that could impact people's lives for eternity? When I, uh, when I first got out of college, I got a job, and, uh, and I was working at a hotel. And uh, I, was working at, I was working as the doorman of a hotel in Washington, D.C. And I know for many of you think, oh, wow, doorman. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> doorman, <laughs> they make a lot of money. Um, um, and I decided, I, I decided just God wanted me to work with teenagers. God wanted me to go in the ministry. And um, at the hotel, they said, look, you know, you're college educated. You're what we call management material. We want you to get into our management program. You know, you could, in, in the long run, you could, you could operate a motel like this, a fancy, you know, humongous 
expensive hotel. And, 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 and I want to tell you something. If God calls you to work in a hotel, do it. Okay? But he didn't call me. And all of a sudden I thought, at the end of my life, do I want to think a whole lot of people had a good night's sleep because of me? No. No. I'm looking forward to people that because God used me, they will be in heaven with me. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm thankful for God allowing me to be at this church so that there's people at home or here that I know whose lives have been radically changed, marriages put back together, addictions dealt with, struggles gone through, medical problems worked through. Not always as we want, but work through in, with, because of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in people's lives. I want to be involved in that because that lasts forever. Think about what you want to be involved in. Will it last forever? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are this God, that when we doubt, you embrace us. You want us to run to you with our struggles and our doubts. You want to be a part of it. You want honesty, not hiding. Lord, it's such an awesome thing to be your child. Help us to understand that and to live it out into whatever you call us to do, Lord. Whether you call us to the shipyard, whether you call us to a school, whether you call us um, to any number of of occupations, all of them come under the fact that we are a follower of Jesus Christ and we are to live in light of that in everything we do. Help us to do that, Lord, to honor you. God, also I pray for those who are struggling, who are dealing with um, depression and struggles, whether it's financial or whether it's medical, whatever it may be. Father, I know those things are incredibly hard to go through. And our, our lives get incredibly small and we feel alone. And Lord, help us to reach out to others, to find community, and also to be honest with you, to express our heart even, even if we're angry. Lord, you invite us to do that because you love us so much, because we know God is love. We thank you for that great truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming here. Thanks for being with us online. God bless you, and you are dismissed.